Welcome to the Parkway Live Church Podcast. Thank you for taking time to let God's Word impact you. Always encouraged to know God is touching lives through this ministry. Please visit parkwaylife.com to let us know. You can also hit the giving tab to sow into the ministry that you are experiencing. Now, prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I don't know about you, but I um, have been uh, one of those people that have been taught by my father that it's very important uh, that I take care of things that I would borrow from someone else. Has anybody else ever been that way and you borrow something? My dad taught me if you borrow something, you need to return it in better condition than it was before you took it. If you borrow someone's car, take it back, fill it up with gas, those kind of things. Unfortunately, um, there's been times that I've lent things out to people and evidently they weren't taught the same thing. And because of that, I, I, I don't feel like I'm selfish, but I have a real hard time sometimes lending my things out. You know, like, hey, can I borrow your hammer? Um, you, well, uh, I, I guess, yeah, I guess you can. How far are you going with it? Because, you know, it, it, it just, you don't know when you're getting it back. And I work in some construction and people be like, hey, can I borrow your Sawzall? Well, I think I'm leaving here in a minute, you know, let me, let me I'll, I'll watch you and then I got to take it with me. But anyway, there's kind of rules my dad taught me, but a lot of times, like I said, people don't do those. I tried to meet those. Uh, so let's, let's say um, there's advantages and disadvantages. Let's say I borrow my neighbor's weed eater, but it's four years old. And then while I'm weed eating, it tears up. Guess who's paying for it? I'm paying for it if I'm, you know, going to still have a neighbor that's a friend. And so I end up buying him a new weed eater and then giving it to him, and then I still don't have a weed eater, you know? So, I, you know, there's some advantages to it. Uh, when you look at being able to, to borrow things, there are certain reasons why you borrow things. And I'll talk about that in a second, but what's interesting is when you look in the Word of God, you will find that Jesus borrowed a lot of things in his life. If you look in the Old Testament, there's even rules and guidelines for borrowing people's stuff. It's like, hey, if you borrow someone's ox and it falls in the ditch and it breaks its leg, then you got to do this to take care of it. I mean, there's a lot, believe it or not, there's a lot of scripture in there talking about what you do when you borrow things from people. So Jesus, when I looked at his life, he borrowed a lot of things. And when you think about borrowing things, you ask yourself the question, why would you borrow something? Why wouldn't you just buy it? And so the reason some people borrow things is, one, you don't plan on using it very long. You're like, man, if, if I had a Sawzall, I could just cut this off. I don't ever think I'll ever need one again. But it, why would I pay that much money? My neighbor's got one. If I could just borrow it for two minutes. And so you borrow things because you're only planning on using it one or two times. Also, you're not willing to invest in the price. You say, for what it costs and what I needed to have it done, I'm I just not willing to make that investment because I don't think I'll ever use it again. And then sometimes you, you, just, you just don't have the money to invest in it for the price of what that item would be. So think about the life of Christ. When he first started out, the first thing when he's born, they have to borrow 
a manger. Hey, uh, if you don't mind horses and donkeys, we're going to borrow your manger so that we can put the baby in the manger. It wasn't theirs. They borrowed it for the few days that they were there. And so then when you go on, you, you look into his ministry, and when he started his ministry, he, he would needed to teach. And he says, I, I need somewhere where people can hear me, and, and it would, you know, the, the sound would carry. So what I need to do is I need, can I borrow your boat, and I can get out here on the water, and then I can speak, and everybody can hear me. And you'll, you'll look a lot of times to where he borrowed a boat time and time again. And the Bible said that he had nowhere to lay his head. So he never bought a house. So he didn't have a place. He just borrowed a room, stay over. And the disciples would be like, hey, we're going on this journey. Where are we going to stay? And I see Jesus say, hey, we're just going to be and be it. You know, there's got to be a B and B around here somewhere. And, and basically that's what they did. They just stop, stay at somebody's house, get up the next morning, eat breakfast, and then they're gone. They're gone somewhere else. And so they, they borrowed things. He borrowed a donkey for that ride into Jerusalem And it was only, what, maybe two hours? Well, why are you going to buy a donkey for two hours, right? So just let me borrow it, and then I'll give it back, and it's unused. And then he borrowed that room for that last supper meal. Hey, we're just going to have it a few hours, and we'll be done. I'm not going to buy it. I just want to borrow the room, and then we'll be done with it. And then the last thing he borrowed, they didn't think he was borrowing it. He didn't really get that it was. You see, most people, they look ahead and they're planners and they think about, yeah, I'm living, but, you know, one day I, I may die, so I need to make arrangements for that. So they go to the funeral home and they pay for it and they make arrangements and they get a plot and all that. And the amazing thing is, is when you look at Jesus' life, he told the disciples over and over and over and over again, hey, I'm going to die. And they were like, no, 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 you're not going to die. I said, yeah, I am going to die and I'm going to, you know, rise from third grade, tear this temple down. And so he's telling them all these things. He knows what's going to happen. But you know what? He didn't make any arrangements. Not one time did he go to the funeral home and said, hey, I need to sit down and make my arrangements. You know, I'm going to be crucified and this thing's going to happen. Matter of fact, they didn't want him around the funeral homes because every time he showed up, he took their business away. He would just touch the casket. People would write, hey, can you stay away from here, okay? Just, you know, we're trying to do a little business here. So Jesus didn't plan in some people's minds, but he really did plan. And so when he's on the cross and he's dead, Joseph Arimathea comes up and says, hey, he's dead. We have nowhere to put his body. He goes to Pilate and says, hey, can I have his body? So I, I, I've got a cave. I've got, I'll give him my grave. He can, he can have my grave. I've got a place to bring him. He said, okay, that's fine. And so I'm sure many of you thought uh, the guy was, was going to die. He would make arrangements if he was a planner because you don't, in Jesus' idea, you don't buy something that you're only going to need for just a little while. So Jesus knew he wasn't going to need the tomb very long, right? So why buy that? So you know the rest of the story. Three days later, he's in the tomb. He rises up. He goes over, hey, Joseph, you want your tomb back, man? It's not really used that much. I just left a little napkin folded up in there. Doesn't even stink. It's really good. You know, you can have it back. Thanks for letting me borrow your tomb. That's cool. That's awesome. So he borrowed his tomb. So we can see Jesus' life on earth. He borrowed many things. However, when he decided... To build his church. It was all different. He had a brand new philosophy. I'm sure that Jesus bought a coat. He bought some food. I'm sure at some place, you know, he bought some things, but you can't find it in the scripture. The only thing you will find in the scripture that he bought was you. That's it. 
He didn't buy anything else. Somebody said, why is that? Well, if you look, when he had the church, he said, you know what? I'm really tired of being in buildings and people thinking I'm dwelling there, that I'm in where there's stone and it's cold and bricks and mortar. And yeah, they're beautiful emphasis, but it's not where I want to live. I want to live inside of a person. I want to have relationship with them. That's where I really want to be. And the Bible tells us that because of that, he bought us. It says in 1 Corinthians 6.20, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God, how? In your body. Glorify God. 1 Peter 1.18 says, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life, inherited from your fathers, but with the precious blood. Everybody say precious blood. The precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Now, I don't know if you caught that. He didn't rent you. He borrowed nothing compared about you. He bought you. And not with silver, gold. He bought you with something that cost him his life. Spotless, sinless, perfected blood that cleanses people from sin. He saved and he saved and he saved. You say, how did he save? Because every time he was on earth, 33 and a half years, and sin would come up and Satan would tempt him because he had to die without sin, without any guile in his mouth. He had to be spotless. When sin would try to get him yielded, he'd say, no, I'm saving up for something. I'm not spending that up. I got something in mind that I want to buy that's precious. And if I don't hold this, I won't have the price to be able to purchase it. And you were so special to him that he saved up for 33 and a half years because he said, I want to buy something. He already had temples and buildings and stones that he could dwell in, but he said, I'm not interested in that. I want somebody that I can live in. I'm just asking because many here today, you may have thought that you were allowing an opportunity for Jesus to move in, but really all we were doing is giving him a staycation for two or three days. I'm just going to, you know, you can come in for two or three days. and That's kind of like some people do. They come in on, hey, it's weekend, man. Let's let Jesus live in here, you know. It's cool. Two or three days, feels good, worship, all that. And then they go back out in the week like, hey, you know, kind of move out, Jesus. He's not interested in moving out. He's interested in moving in and staying inside of you and giving you the hope and the peace and the joy that nothing else can offer you. He bought you. He wants to live inside of you. He's not interested in renting you. He's not interested in being a B&B for two or three days. He says, I want a relationship with you and I want to live inside of you. Somebody said amen. amen. Can we take a minute and just talk about renters? Now, I rented for five years in an apartment, so I, I understand what renters are. And not all renters are bad, okay? We just need to establish that before I do any talking about that. Uh, all renters are not bad. Some renters are fantastic. I have owned some properties, and I've had some incredible renters. But, oh, my Lord, for those who were not incredible, were incredible the other way. <laughs> Can I get a witness from any homeowner that's ever rented out your home? The renter... It's like the devil. <laughs> or I'll say the devil is like some renters. So I've had some 
excellent renters. I couldn't ask for better renters. They took care of my facilities, all those things. But there are some that whenever they rent, when they move out, I have to replace the carpet, repaint the walls, change the locks, fix the things that are broken that I didn't know was broken if they'd have just told me that it was broken. And then I have to make sure that everything is deep cleaned in the bathrooms. Oh, my Lord. How, I won't even go into how bad that can be. But when you rent your house, one time I rented a house and I went by to check on them. And I, and I didn't see any cars. And I went up and I looked in the window and there was no furniture. They had moved out. And they didn't even tell me. And I'm like, where are they? And I called them. They wouldn't answer. I couldn't find them. They just left a few things in there. Moved everything else out and was gone. Some people love renting cars. Does anybody else here besides me like to rent cars? When you rent a car, I've had some people I've rented a car with, and we got ready to turn it in, and they're picking up the trash and throwing it all. I said, what are you doing? They're like, well, we got to clean the car up. I'm like, it's a rental, right? That's how some people, it's a rental. They're going to clean it up for you. You're paying for them to clean it up. And I've seen some people, friends of mine, that when they've rented cars, I'm like, Oh, my goodness, I can't believe that they're going to have to clean all this up. But that is some people's mentality with a rental is they don't have to take care of it because somebody else is going to take care of it when they turn it in. I want to help you out a little bit here today, and that is I want you to understand that Satan never comes in to live forever. He's just a renter. He comes in, and I'll just say this. Satan has never invested in you, cried one tear for you, went through any pain for you, ever suffered for you, ever became human for you. So when he moves in your temple, he's not planning on staying. He's planning on trashing the place. And then whenever things get really bad, he's going to move out and go somewhere else. Can somebody say amen? And because of that, he continually over and over abuses the place where he is at. He'll trash your place. He'll run it down. He'll show no respect. He breaks things. He doesn't repair them. He destroys. He will not replace it. And then he moves on. Why? Because he doesn't own you. Unlike Jesus, when he comes along, he lets you know, we're not flipping this property. I'm staying right here. I'm buying you. He gets Satan out of you and all the trash that he brings. He says, we're repainting the whole house. We're taking this nasty carpet out. We're going to put some wood floors in here. We're going to knock some walls down. We're going to give it an open concept. And Joanna and Chip Gaines ain't going to have anything on us. This is going to be the best fixer-up we've ever seen. But we're not selling it. We're staying here. This is what God thinks about you. This is what God wants to invest in you. And in worship and praise and adoration and the peace and the serenity and all those things he wants to give to you. But we have to understand that God is not wanting just a B&B, not just a weekend getaway. He wants to live in you all the time. And somebody say amen. amen. Scott, would you grab me that water real quick right there? Anybody like B&Bs? It's okay for you to raise your hand. We're just kind of talking to each other, you know. It's not, it's no, I'm not going to make you go stay in one. It's not a trick question. There you go. 
because you go in, you haven't been there before, it's new, it's different. You're there a little while and you leave and go somewhere else and check it out. And sometimes that seems like how Satan is. He just comes in a little bit, does a little things, moves on, goes on to the next place. But I'm trying to tell somebody here today, Jesus loves you so much that he's not leaving you. I want you to say this with me. He said this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I want you to say this, never. Never, never, never. Jesus isn't leaving you today, friend. You may feel alone. You may feel depressed. You may feel like no one's there. But I'm telling you, you've got to stand on his word. If you ever invite Jesus into being your life, you are the one that's going to have to leave him. He's not leaving you. You will have to push him out because it says in 1 Corinthians 6 and 19, he created your body for a reason. It says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, whom you have received from God, you are not your own. Verse 20 says, you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body. I am bought. Say, I am bought. Your body was made to house the Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, people were filled with the Spirit. It wasn't a rental situation. It wasn't God's Spirit moving in and then moving back out. It was God's Spirit moving in to stay and to live inside of them. When you borrow something, it means you're not willing to invest in it. That's not the way God is. God says, I'm investing everything in them. I'm giving it all that I have. You're the apple of his eye. You're his treasure. The Bible says you're his special possession. I want you to know that he is a jealous God. He don't want you moving on to someone else. He wants you and you alone. He invested in you and he bought you. Some of you need to just kind of do like this and say, I am special. I am special. I am important to God. No matter what anybody else says, you are important to God. Somebody said amen. Amen. But he not only bought you, he wants to live in you. Who buys a dream house? And doesn't live in it. Oh, this has always been my dream house. I want to buy this. What are you going to do? Oh, no, I'm still going to live over here. No, you're not. This is my dream house. If I invest in this, if I pay for this, I'm living in this. Can I get a witness? Jesus, you're his dream house. You're his dream place to dwell. He says, I want to live in them. I want to stay in them. That's where I want to be. I've been, I died for this. I gave my blood for it. I suffered for it. I did this because I want to live inside of them. And what's amazing is, is when you read the scriptures and you see how Jesus was able to open up people's understanding to what he wanted to do, it's amazing that he's still doing it today. If you read in the book of John, You can also find it in other places in the scripture. But the book of John chapter 20 talks about Jesus and this is after his resurrection. He's in grave, he's resurrected, he comes back and he's talking to them. And it's in chapter 20 verse 19 he says, It was the first day of the week and that every evening while the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came, stood among them, said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. When he said this, 
he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. You know what's amazing about that? It doesn't tell us if they did. It said he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. But it didn't tell us that anything different happened. Why didn't they receive when he said receive the Holy Spirit? There's three reasons I'll give you. The first one's in Acts chapter 1 verse 4. It says, and being assembled together with him, he charged him not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard of me, for I indeed baptized you water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. He breathed on them, but then later he told them, I want you to go to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait there, and that's where you're going to receive the Spirit. Second reason, John 16, 7 says, but I tell you that I'm going to do what is best for you. This is why I'm going away. The Holy Spirit, get it, cannot come to help you until I leave. Another reason they couldn't receive it is because Jesus was still here. He said, you're not going to receive the Spirit to help you until I'm gone. Then I'm going to send it back, the Spirit back to help you. It says, but after I'm gone, I will send the Spirit to you. The third reason, they didn't have the capacity to receive it. Why is that? Let me give you an example. Second Peter 3 and 18 says this, but grow. Everybody say grow. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He married these two words together, growing in grace and growing in knowledge, both of them. You can grow in knowledge and become a scholar, but not increase your capacity to receive. Knowledge alone does not increase your capacity to receive. But knowledge can even sometimes deter people from receiving everything that Christ has for them. But when you pair knowledge with grace, it levels the playing field with knowledge. Knowledge helps you understand who he is and what he can do. But it is grace that leads you to faith. And then once you start having faith, you start believing what you know he says he can do. I can say that Jesus can heal, but until I have the grace that leads me to faith, that causes me to start believing that he says he can do it, but now I believe that he can do it. It's not just a knowledge thing. It's something that can happen in my life. The more you grow in knowledge, the more you should grow in grace. This builds the muscles of faith and causes your heart to believe and increase your capacity to receive. Acts chapter 2, I'll give you an example. It says in chapter 4, or chapter 2, verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and filled all of the house where they were sitting, just like we're sitting right now. And there appeared in them cloven tongues like as the fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all, would you say all? They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with the tongue. The Spirit gave them utterance. The disciples had vast knowledge about Jesus, but earlier they didn't have the capacity to receive the Spirit. They did in Acts chapter 2, but they didn't before earlier. Why? You can find it in the scripture as to what changed. Same scenario is written in the book of Luke. 
Jesus appeared to the disciples. It doesn't record Jesus breathing on them and saying, receive the Spirit. But the same things happen as far as in the chronological order. And you'll see that Thomas was not there. Thomas enters. It's recorded the second time. Thomas is told to touch his fingers into his hands, into his side. Then after that, Jesus goes back into this again about the Spirit. But notice what he says in Luke 24 and 44. Jesus said to them, these are the words I spoke to you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and Psalms. He told them that time and time and time and time again. They knew that. He's just repeating it to them. Jesus had been telling them this over and over, so they had the knowledge that he was saying this. They didn't believe some of it yet because verse 45 says this. This is what you got to get if you miss everything else. Listen now. Then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. Verse 45. He opened their minds to understand the scripture. Revelation came to them. Their minds opened up to believing and understanding the scripture and knowing that Christ continues to guide them. Verse 46. And he and he went and after he opened their minds, he said this to them. He told them, This is what is written. Christ will suffer and rise from the dead the third day. Wait a minute. He just said that in the scripture before. But their minds weren't open. And once their minds was open, he said, you know what, let me say this now because I think they're going to get it now because their minds open. His name, repentance, and forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Verse 49, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but remain in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Bam, they got it. We see it, Jesus. You're going to give us this spirit, but you can't do it right now because you said until you leave, you're not sending the spirit back. So you're getting ready to leave, and when you ascend, we're going to go to Jerusalem, and we're going to wait, and we're going to receive this power that we've never had. We're going to receive this experience of the Holy Spirit. We get what you're saying, but it's not just for us. We're going to preach it to everybody else, and it's going to be available for others so that not only can you, you receive, we receive you, but you also can be birthed inside of others as well. And they went, and you know the rest of the story. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. When you find them, they all begin to speak with other tongues. But I want to show you something. Once they increase their capacity to receive, notice what continues to happen. Acts chapter 4, when you read the scripture there, it says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Again, Acts chapter 2, they were filled. Acts chapter 4 field, but that's not all. You start understanding and you enlarge yourself to receive a capacity to receive. The rest of it says, and they spake the word of God with boldness. They didn't have the boldness before. What changed? They increased their capacity to receive. And God poured into them more and more and more. Notice how the more they opened their capacity to receive, the more that God poured into them. You say, what are you saying, Shelly? Stop with me and think for a second. If I have a gallon bucket right here and it's empty and I have a five-gallon bucket of water and I pour the five-gallon bucket in the water, how much will the gallon bucket be able to hold? One gallon. That's all the capacity it has. 
But if you can expand that, then you can pour more into it. That's what Jesus was doing. He was getting them to expand so he could pour more into them. And that's what happened in the scriptures is they kept receiving more and kept receiving more. And that's what God's wanting to do for us. We have a capacity to receive a certain amount, but the more knowledge we get and the grace and we let our faith grow, and all of a sudden we start saying, I can receive this. It can change just like that. And I've seen it personally. I've had people walk up to me where I've done spirit crusades. They walked up to me and said, say, Shelly, I've been raised my whole life that I didn't understand about the spirit. I knew the spirit of God was working in the earth, but I didn't think that I could receive the spirit like they did in the book of Acts chapter 2. I, I read about it. I had the knowledge about it, but they said, I started watching this video that you talked about the spirit, and I started listening to the scriptures, and my mind, all of a sudden, it just opened up, and I realized it's for me. I can have it. It's for whosoever will. And I'm telling you, those same people that had a block, I would watch them come down to the front, lift their hands, and in a matter of seconds, the power of the Spirit would fall on them, and they would begin speaking in tongues they'd never spoken in in their entire life. How is that? They open their capacity to receive. What I'm trying to tell some of us today is we have to open our capacity to receive what God has. Look at when you first came to God and where you're at now. Could you have received all that when you first came to God and you were just believing in Jesus? No. You've been overwhelmed. You're like, man, I can't take all. Are you, I, I can't receive all this. What'd you do? The more you knew about God, you grew in knowledge. You grew in grace. Your faith started growing. You just started opening up and God started increasing your capacity to receive and receive. And that's why if we've been serving God one year or 50 years, as long as we keep enlarging that capacity, God just keeps pouring more and more and more into us because he's got a vast amount to pour into us. Somebody said amen. What keeps us from receiving? Have you enlarged your capacity to receive? Have you thrown away the junk have you said, okay, Lord, I'll throw those things away, done with them? And that's what God is wanting to do today. He's wanting to pour himself into us on a continued basis so that we can increase our capacity to receive more of him. Would you say this with me? Jesus, fill me with your spirit. Jesus, come live inside of me is my prayer. Would you lift your hands right now and just thank him that he heard your prayer? All over this building, from one side to the other, I wonder if you would just open your heart up and say, Jesus, I want you to feel me. I want my capacity to be enlarged. Jesus, we thank you for being our Savior. We can't thank you enough for dying on the cross for us, for saving us, Jesus. But we're asking you, Lord, just as you increase the capacity for the disciples to receive more from you, we're praying that we would be able to receive more from you today. Would you stand with me? I hope you understand how much Jesus loves He's not renting you. He bought you. 
You meant more to him than anything in this world. That he would die for you, shed his blood for you. So what I'm going to do is I want us to be as if we're all family here today. No one singling anyone out. But I wonder if this in this message today spoke to you to help you understand that God wants to, one, live inside of you. Not just visit you on the weekend when you walk into Parkway and you feel the presence of God and you go home and you're like, can't wait till next week to really connect with God. I hope I communicated to you today that your connection with God can be through the whole week, not just when you get to church. And the way that can happen is by letting Him pour His Spirit into you. For some of you that you've had the Spirit, you felt that, but you're like, Shelly, I'm here and I hear about that capacity. I want to open my capacity to receive more from God, and I want to receive that today. So what I'm going to do, whether you've been walking with God one day or walking with God for 50 years, we're going to sing this song in worship. And we're not going to ask anyone to come down as a prayer partner. We're just going to invite anyone that wants to come to the front that you want to to say, God, I want you to come live inside of me with your spirit. Or you're saying, I just want to increase my capacity to receive more from God. And then when you feel that way, if you're one of those people, when you come down here, I want you to just close your eyes and shut everything else out. And I want you to just lift your hands and start communicating with God. I love you, Jesus. Feel me. Feel me to overflowing to where my capacity to have more of you is increased. I'm going to pray a prayer for you, and then we're going to go into worship, and I want you to just come down one by one. Don't be afraid of anyone around. Just say, I'm coming to get something for myself. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. And that you loved us so much you died and gave your blood. Silver couldn't buy us. Gold couldn't buy us. Precious stones. But you said I'll buy them. I know God we we were pretty tattered. We were more than a fixer upper. Everything needed to be changed in my life. But you bought me. You said I'm going to make something out of you. I'm going to invest in you. Because you invested in us, God, you've poured yourself into us. And we all know, God, wherever you're at, we bloom, we blossom, we grow. I pray you enter people today as they ask you to move into your, to their house so you can fill them to capacity. In Jesus' name, thank you for hearing our prayer. Amen.